We are going to Mexico City for a business retreat and you are invited. There's something magical about getting out of the day-to-day routine. It's even better when you pack your bags, hop on a flight and land in a new city. From July 21st to July 26, 2024, join us as we settle into our home for the week, visit all the local coffee shops that Mexico City has to offer, and dedicate time to work on our businesses. This means a whole work week to brainstorm your business's future, set goals for the next year, and get caught up on all those admin tasks that keep getting pushed to the wayside. And you didn't think we'd be all work and no play, did you? While our primary goal is dedicated time to work on the biz and give ourselves space to dream and scheme, we can't go to Mexico City and not experience the vibrant culture. That's why we planned a night of salsa lessons at Mama Roomba, and we're going to get to go visit some of the best restaurants that Mexico City has to offer. Registration is now open. Spots are limited, and you don't want to miss out on this amazing opportunity. Come hang out with us and work on your business in person in Morgan's favorite city. Head to weightinclusiveinnovators.com slash admincation to sign up or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. Morgan here. And today I am chatting with Brittany Turner, who is an accountant and the founder of Countless, a modern and vibrant CPA firm for small businesses. Countless was shared with me through a friend in Houston who actually uses Brittany as a CPA and bookkeeper, and she could not have spoken more highly about her. And so y'all asked us lots of incredible questions related to small business taxes and accounting, and Brittany is here to answer all of them. Since establishing Countless in 2016, Brittany has revolutionized the way hundreds of small business owners across 20 plus states approach their financial management. Her expertise has enabled these entrepreneurs to gain a deeper understanding of their numbers, instilling a sense of empowerment and control over their business operations. A key highlight of her career includes guiding two client companies to successful acquisitions by Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 giants. Brittany's pivot to founding Countless came during a flourishing career in New York City's real estate market. She realized that the same work she was doing for real estate investors could be life-changing for small business owners. Countless was born from the idea that accounting goes beyond number crunching. It's all about understanding client dreams and turning them into achievable goals. Brittany's mission for Countless is to demonstrate the transformative power of strategic accounting. Residing just outside of Philly with her husband, Chris, and their two dogs, Shay and Lola, and a cat named Steak. Brittany finds balance between managing countless and indulging in hiking, traveling, and embracing the beauty of her surroundings. Let's dive in to my chat with Brittany. Hey, Brittany, welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. Thank you for having me. 
We are so thankful for your willingness to answer all these questions that our crew sent our way um, and to share your knowledge on accounting for small businesses, especially for mental health clinicians and professionals, which I saw recently on your Instagram was a specialty of y'all's. Yes, yes, it is. First of all, I love that. Our audience is going to absolutely (laughs) love that because it is, I think it can be really hard to explain to some I don't know if older school accountants is the right phrasing for it on like what it's like to run like this hybrid in-person virtual telehealth business. And so to have you here that as someone who like intimately understands the audience too, I am pumped. (laughs) Oh, awesome. So I compiled all the questions that our audience asked us, sent all of them over your way. It was a very long email and you (laughs) so graciously organized them all for us into different categories. So let's just start diving into that. Um, And I want to start off with like a little fun welcome intro question with what is the likelihood that I will ever get audited in my business? So some accountants, I've seen them post on social breaking down the likelihood, um, like percentages of returns that are audited based on return type. And that is a thing. Um, you know, certain business entities are less likely to get audited than others from a just strictly data perspective. I don't like to even go there or think about that or base any decision around that because it's also totally random at the same time. So it could be totally random. It could be and a deliberate choice where, you know, certain positions are taken or things look a certain way on the return that could trigger an audit. Um, audits can happen from not, you know, just from mistakes. If you accidentally, you know, report a different amount of income than the IRS has, they'll send you a letter, which is considered an audit. So I do think in the grand scheme of things, the likelihood of it happening is very, 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 very low. Um, But it also could be very high if your record keeping isn't on point and you accidentally misstate something, then you get a love letter from the IRS and that's technically an audit. So I don't ever like to make decisions based around that just because I feel like I don't know even how to explain it. Like, you know, whether it's going to happen or it doesn't happen, that shouldn't dictate how we approach things. Yeah. So kind of in alignment with that, because what I heard was if your bookkeeping isn't necessarily prim and proper, that that might increase the risk. And so a couple of questions related to that. Do we need to be saving all of our receipts? Yeah. So um, there is like a specific rule that states, um, you know, if the purchase is under $75, or if it's not for hotel stays, I think there might be one other thing, then like you don't need to keep receipts. You can just use your credit card statement or bank statement. I don't operate like that. I don't advise clients to operate like that because at the end of the day, like the burden of proof is on you as the taxpayer. So why not just keep the receipt. Like if that's going to come between me and some jerk auditor 
who's trying to challenge me on the validity of a legitimate expense. And then I have to end up paying tax on that expense, that legitimate expense, just because I didn't save a piece of paper. Like, I don't think so. Like, just save them. Um, I will say that when I first started, maybe I relied on the statements and, um, you know, didn't keep every receipt. But over time, it was one of those things that always like weighed on me. Like it would be one of those things that, you know, at like 2 a.m. when I couldn't sleep, it would like creep into my head like you're not saving your receipts. So I just decided like maybe I should just save the receipts and then I can feel better about stuff. And I feel like it just becomes like second nature. So at first, it's really difficult to save them. But once you get in a rhythm of things, it's so much easier. And I actually have a blog post post on my website, um, my resources are broken down into categories. And there's one category called how to, and I'm pretty sure it's under that section. There's not too much on there. So you'll be able to find it even if not, but it's called like how to save your receipts. And it breaks down the different ways you can save them, how to integrate it in. And then what we recommend, I recommend hands down this software called HubDoc that, you know, even if, so it's included with zero, which is an accounting software that we use, it's included with zero subscriptions, but even if it wasn't, I would pay for it. So basically what okay. it does is there's an app and a website, you get a custom email address. Um, you can take pictures of paper receipts on the app. You email in PDF receipts through email to your custom email address. And here's where the magic happens. HubDoc, has uh, text recognition built into it. So it scans your receipt, reads it. It puts it away in a folder for you that it makes. Mm. So it creates folders for all of your vendors. It moves your receipt there. And before it moves the receipt, it renames the file name to be the vendor's name, the date of the purchase, the amount of the purchase. So you can literally search all of your, say, $25 receipts, and it'll bring up every single one. You can search by date, you can search by vendor. And then what's even more beautiful is you can integrate HubDoc with your cloud storage. So I actually use Google Drive and Box, and I have it backed up to both of them because I'm not messing around, you know? So all of my receipts are in three places. They're in HubDoc, they're in Google Drive, and they're in Box. And not only does it push all of your receipts to that cloud storage, but it also copies the file system. So all of my receipts are organized by vendor in multiple places backed up. And I had to do literally nothing. All I have to do is take out my camera, take a picture of a paper receipt. And then with your custom email address, dude, for any recurring receipts, you can literally set up automatic forwarding rules in your Gmail or whatever email system you use to just automatically send them. So like every receipt, you know, mark is read, archive, apply the label receipts and forward to HubDoc. And I don't have to do anything. And all my shit's backed up. It's phenomenal. And I think it's like $12 a month. It's honestly a no brainer. Some people will recommend to put all of your receipts in every single transaction in your QuickBooks or your Wave. And you don't want to do that. You want to know why? You may not be using QuickBooks forever or Wave or Zero or whatever you're using. And if you've ever tried to get all of your receipts out of that system, you're going to you're going to be shit out of luck. Like I don't rely on anything except for folders and locking it down. So that's how to save receipts. Yes. Incredible. And we are 100% going to be linking <laughs> that blog post. 
to yeah, you. That is it's such so good. Yes. Well, yeah, I, uh, we are all for like things that will save us time yes. like that. Like chef's kiss. So good. Yes. Um, okay. You mentioned zero is zero similar to QuickBooks in terms of like bookkeeping. Absolutely. So um, zero X E R O is similar to QuickBooks. Another option is wave. It doesn't necessarily matter what you use. What matters is that you use it. Mm. Even if you use a spreadsheet, like if you're actually using it fine, I never recommend spreadsheet because something's always going to get left out. The beauty of an accounting software is that like you as a non-accountant may not use it properly or the best, but as long as it's set up right at the beginning, any professional coming into your file will be able to see like, oh, this wasn't done right. Whereas if you're just doing it yourself in a spreadsheet, there's so much unknown that can go wrong. So Wave is great. Um, If you Google Wave bookkeeping, it'll come up. It's totally free. And honestly, for being free, it's like really scalable. And I do want to say that in general, when it comes to free softwares, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. That's not the case with this. I mean, I don't want to promise that they're not looking at data or doing anything with data, but they do. So it started off as an invoicing software. So they give a free accounting software to get people in to use the invoicing software, hoping to get the 3.5% merchant fees. So it's not like they're giving you everything for nothing. They also have bookkeepers you can hire through Wave by the hour to go in and like give you training and help you keep your books updated. So that's my number one recommendation. If someone like wants an easy intro software, then it would come zero just because it's made by accountants. It's very user-friendly. There's a lot of really cool features in it. Um, and the price is much more affordable. To get like a working version of QuickBooks, people are going to be paying, you know, between $70 and $100 a month usually. And I'm just, I don't know. I just don't think it's worth it. So if someone's already using QuickBooks, keep using it. Don't change Um, what matters is that you feel comfortable in it. But if you're not using anything, I feel like that should be the last place that you start and don't use QuickBooks for self-employed. That is not scalable at all whatsoever. You would think that you could upgrade your QuickBooks self-employed into a regular QuickBooks file at some point, but you can't. The data is just lost in there forever. Um, And it's really hard to, there's not the same foolproof um, tie-outs from an accounting perspective. So it's really easy for things to get um, messy and to have major errors. All incredible things to know. The last question related to kind of this foundation of accounting is what are the tax advantages when owning your own business or owning your private practice? So the tax advantages of being self-employed over being an employee are that you get to deduct expenses. So if you're a W-2 employee, you know, maybe you're doing the same work, you're seeing clients, you're seeing patients, but if you're on a W-2, any expenses that you incur, you wouldn't be able to deduct. Generally, if you're working for someone else, you shouldn't be incurring any expenses. They should be paying for them. So... That's sort of something to look at too. Um, Some expenses that you might incur regardless could be home office stuff, but some employers are reimbursing um, employees for that. So 
it could go either way. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons, but I would say the tax advantages would be you can't deduct things if you're an employee and you can if you are self-employed. But the other side to that is you're spending money that you wouldn't have to spend if you worked for someone else. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, moving into a question about entities. This question probably got asked like three or four times. So definitely an important question. Nice. And it is, when does it make sense to move your business from LLC to an S corp? And is this something that you should have an accountant help you with? 100% you should have an accountant help you with it. So many people come to us who set up S corps and don't know everything that they entail. And then it ends up costing more time, money, heartache, resources in the long run. So a lot of accountants out there, and there's even this website called Collective, um, which like has all these targeted ads. That's like, you know, if your business is profiting more than $60,000 a year, you should be an S corp and this and that. And like, no, you shouldn't. We mm. we never look at numbers only when it comes to making this determination. Converting to an S corporation should be a quantitative and a qualitative analysis. Both. It depends on the person. It depends on their willingness. It depends on their knowledge. It depends on a lot of things. Like having your business taxed as a regular sole proprietor filing a Schedule C. I don't want to say it's the Wild West, but it's sort of like the Wild West. There's like no rules. You don't have to file a balance sheet. You don't even have to know what a balance sheet is. You don't have to watch your distributions. Like you don't have to do all of these little, there's not like red tape to jump through. So basically it's like, if you want to be taxed as an S-corp, and possibly have tax savings. And I say possibly because there's states and cities, like especially in New York City, where there's an additional tax on S-corps. So sometimes people end up spending more money in taxes because they get bad advice from places like Collective. Um, So just putting that out there. But if you want to like play this game and like, you know, have this S corporation, there's stuff that you have to do. There's red tape you have to manage. And that's not always worth saving $1,000, $2,000 in taxes. So you have to run payroll. You have to use an accounting software and your books have to be good. There's not this like, oh, I'll just like throw it together at the end of the year and like hope for the best. Like, no, like this is a different league. Um, Like things have to be updated regularly. Your health insurance has to be reported a certain way. Like, so I feel like the best candidates from a qualitative perspective are people that are making good money and you make good money because you need to have enough cushion to be able to have the tax savings be high enough to offset the increased costs. That's really what it comes down to. So people who are making good money and are likely already working with a bookkeeper, because if because that's usually the biggest cost. Um, so if you're already working with a bookkeeper, then it's not going to be that much more. But using an accounting software could cost you six hundred ish dollars a month, 
sorry, a year, you have to file a separate tax return. So your tax prep fees could go up, you know, $1,500, $2,000 a year. There's a lot more compliance. Um, so it's not just revenue. It's also like willingness to take things seriously and like show up for this aspect of the business. You can't coast as much, but you know, you can save significant money for sure. And I feel like for some people, it provides the needed structure because you have mm. to have your shit together. So um, whereas before, like, oh, I don't really like pay myself regularly, or I just like take money from the business when I need. And there's not this like grounding feeling of, you know, having the business support you. Whereas when you set up the S Corp, assuming that you're working with an accountant that cares about this stuff, because there's plenty of accountants out there that are like, oh, just run payroll once a year at the end of the year, we'll figure it out. Like that shit makes me so anxious just thinking about it. Like, no. So all of our clients are on a schedule 15th and the last day of the month, they get their salary, they get their payroll, like everything's like nice and clean. And like, it feels so good to like get to have the business support you and to like have this consistent Consistency, and I feel like the consistency in the business financially creates consistency in things outside of the business too. It like seeps into other parts of life, and it's just nice. So that's that's my long way of saying it depends. <laughs> I thank you for sharing that. I feel like, it, like you said, with collective, I have also heard like, oh yeah, if you're like consistently bringing in seventy five thousand, like you're good. You should be an S corp. And I love that you brought in the qualitative piece of this too, because there is so much like emotion and thought. It's not like a black and white yes or no. Like there's so much more that goes into it. And especially like with our audience, mental health providers, we were very aware of like how mm -hmm. we had this relationship with money that we have, and so. That was such a great answer and so validating of like, there's not, it's not just a yes or no situation. So, yeah. Okay. Moving into some questions about retirement savings and investing. The first question we have is when and how should you start investing in your business? And do you have any resources for this? So when I first read this question, I thought, the person was asking like to invest in the business, like buying investments, like to help the business keep going, like investing in a, I don't know, new laptop or, you know, something to help the business keep going. But now I'm thinking that it might be like buying investments, stocks, bonds, things like that in the business. I would say don't. Mm. And this is why. Most people form, and this is coming from somebody who has investments in the business. So I'm going to backtrack and, <laughs> and give both, okay? But mm -hmm. um, most people form an LLC or a corporation to protect their personal assets, right? If you have so much money in the business that you're needing to invest it, that if something happens and you're sued, that become that's not protected. It's not your personal asset. So why not move the money out and invest it personally and make sure that it's protected? Um, then circling back to when would it be a good idea? So a year or so ago, I don't know if anyone remembers this. Um, there were some like indexed, some inflation indexed 
bonds that had really high rates. So it was like 9.62% or something because interest, you know, because inflation was crazy and people were buying them up. So you're only allowed to buy $10,000 per year in those bonds. And at the time, the rate was so good and you didn't need to hold them for longer than a year. So since you can only purchase $10,000 personally and then $10,000 through a business, then it could make sense. We advised lots of clients to, okay, buy $10,000 personally and utilize the business to buy $10,000 more, but not if like it should only be used as an overflow, in my opinion, Hey, love that. And we uh, have had conversations with a financial advisor as well. And so I hope that they'll dive into that even more of like when you move the money into your personal account. Yeah. Okay. This next question, I love this question. And it is, what is something that a lot of females miss out on in both personal and business finances, given the immense patriarchy in the finance world? Oh God, (laughs) this could be a whole, this could be a whole (laughs) episode. Um, Something, it breaks my heart. So something that I see happen a lot of, um, because we work primarily with women and women-owned businesses, is that women save less, um, even when they're the primary breadwinner in the household. Um they are saving less for retirement. They're saving less in general. I don't know why. Um, And then I'll bring it up, you know, hey, do you want to, you should increase your savings. You should do this or that. And um, it's always like, oh, well, you know, I want to put the money towards my kids 529 or put the money towards this or put the money towards that. It's always like, I don't want to say that they become an afterthought, but, and I don't also want to make generalizations that, you know, women tend to put themselves last and um but i don't know i just like fuck that shit you know what i mean i don't know how else to say it um you know my father drilled in my head from like such a young age to like rely on no one always take care of myself um you know i've seen bad things growing up um broken house just like the whole shebang so i feel like my I'm like maybe too far on the other side. Um, But, you know, that would be one thing is, you know, not prioritizing that for whatever reason. And then aside from that, just like general, this isn't for me or I'm bad with numbers or it's hard or it's scary or it's the unknown or, you know, just like sort of like we're not supposed to be doing just like all of that sort of messaging, Mm -hmm. um, not talking about money, like all of that. And then not charging enough, Um, not asking for more, not like, whereas, you know, maybe men have no problem doing that or to a certain extent, I don't know. So like just that, I feel like, you know, in general, as a gender, like we are behind. Um, It wasn't that long ago where we couldn't even have our own bank accounts. And um, so, you know, to just sort of like keep that in mind and like approach it from a place of like love and like gentleness and kindness and not like, you know, like nurturing instead of like, 
I'm envisioning like, you know, a mom like dragging the ki the a kid's hand, like, come on, let's go. Like, it doesn't need to be like that. It can be this like, um, it's an act of self-love, I feel, um, to prioritize those things. And in general, women do tend to live longer. So it is really important that um, we are doing that. And then also don't even get me started on all of the messaging that we get about how we need mm -hmm. to look a certain way and have certain things. And we're not good enough if we're not spending all this money on clothes and skincare and makeup. And I mean, how much it costs to get a haircut and the fact that our, even our shampoo and our body wash costs more and it's the same <laughs> product, like, oh my God. And to, it's, I don't want to say the cards are stacked against us, but there's a lot that goes into it, you know, and um, to take those little stances. And it was so hard when I worked in corporate to show up in, you know, the same outfit when everyone else like looked really good and had a blowout. And um, but to like remind myself, like, you don't know what their savings account looks like, like you yeah. like to like have that sense of security, too. But I don't know. It's, it's complicated. It is for sure. Okay. Moving into questions about paying yourself and payroll. The first question, so there's a question and then there's a little bit of like secondary question to it. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read both of them. How am I supposed to pay myself is the first question. And then nestled within that, aside from any money taken out for payroll through an S corp. Can I transfer money out of the account to otherwise pay myself or does it all have to come from payroll? It should not all come from payroll. So that's the beauty of the S corp. So basically like when you have an S corporation, so if you don't have an S corporation, a hundred percent of your profit is taxed two ways. One income tax, which we all know about, but then there's this other tax called self-employment tax, which is social security and Medicare, also known as FICA tax, right? And I guarantee if anyone who's a Schedule C filer, meaning they don't have an S Corp, they're just a sole prop, single member LLC, if you go look at your tax return on page two, you're going to see lines. One line says income tax, one line says self employment tax. I guarantee you that self employment tax is more than your income tax. It just mm -hmm. is. It's 15.3%, which isn't a lot. Like that's not an average tax rate, but nothing gets written down. And what I mean is your income tax is after like the standard deduction and after your SEP contributions and after health insurance, and, like after all of these little things, whereas the self-employment tax is on 100% of your business's profits. Okay. So usually it's more than 15.3% is no joke. Like it's serious. So when you're an S corp, you have more control over that. So let's say you're making hundred grand a year after expenses as a schedule C 15.3% on that hundred grand. But then let's say you're an S corp and you're like, okay, the average salary for someone that does my, my job would be like 70K. So I'm going to pay myself 70K salary. Now you're only paying 15.3% on that 70K. You just saved 15.3% on 30K. And this is all like theoretical because there's much more complicated than this. But in general, that's what it is. So 
If you're used to living off of a certain amount that you need to live, you switch to an S-Corp and you're only taking money through payroll, I can guarantee you're probably not saving money on self-employment tax because you're probably taking all of it out through the business. You have your due and eligible and entitled to both payroll and distributions. So if you're not taking both, then you're probably leaving money on the table. So yes, you should make a transfer to yourself. I have it set up automatic. So it's like I get my direct deposit. I'm an S-Corp. I get my direct deposit from payroll on the 15th and the last day of the month. And then I also have a recurring transfer set up from the business account to my personal account also hits on the 15th and the last day of the month. So I get two deposits from the business twice a month, four times a month. Um, and the, the allocation of that is where the magic happens and is also where, you know, you can open yourself up to an audit because your salary has to be reasonable, but no one defines what reasonable is. I actually have um, reports that you can buy on my website. I have like a subscription with this website called Reasonable Comp Reports where you put in like what you do, where you do it, how proficient you are in it. And don't forget, you don't do, you know, mental health all day when you're working, you do secretary, you're a janitor. If you keep your space clean, you're a receptionist, you do social media marketing, you know, you do all of these things. So this software brings in all of the little tasks you do throughout the day, how proficient you are in them. And then it, it figures out what the hourly rate is for each of those tasks based on your zip code. And it puts together what your reasonable salary should be. And it's usually much lower than you think. And like, you know, as long as you answer honestly, and you're not trying to like, have your salary be as low as possible, you know, like this report will hold up in an audit. And like this report mm. will justify whatever salary you pick. And listen, again, back to what I was saying at the beginning, not all decisions should be made just from a lowering tax perspective. That's not how I operate. I look at things from a holistic perspective. So like, yes, if your salary is lower, you may save money on self-employment tax, but your retirement contributions are going to be lower. Your social security when you're older is going to be lower. Like lots of other things are affected by that. So you have to find that sweet spot where you don't want to overpay in taxes, but you also don't want to like screw future you down the road. Yeah. Okay. This next question is, it looks like specific question. So I'm an S-Corp and pay myself a flat monthly salary, but I give myself a quarterly bonus as an owner's draw. How do you account for the owner's draw in your bookkeeping? I think it's under expenses, but that doesn't contribute to lowering taxes, right? Yes. Perfect. Love this question. So your bonus as owner's draw should go to an account in your software called owner's draw. And that account should be an equity account and it should be on your balance sheet. It's not an expense. It doesn't go on your income statement or profit and loss. It goes on the balance sheet. Um, it doesn't lower your expenses because it's not your payrolls an expense, but your owner's draws aren't an expense. They're like, it's a return of your investment. Um, so it reduces your equity on the balance sheet. Some. 
And then the last question related to payroll is how often should I be readjusting and calculating how much to pay myself or how much to pay in estimated taxes, considering it's a monthly payroll as an escort? Love this. So definitely the reasonable comp report is great. Um, if things don't change too much, like I just think doing one to get a good baseline is perfect. And then you should be giving yourself raises each year because if you worked for someone else and they didn't give you a raise, you wouldn't stick around. Right. Even if it's just like 3%, just something, I think it's like, also it's that act of self-love. Like I'm worth this, like to keep that forward momentum going, you don't want anything to get stagnant. Right. So that, and then how much you pay in estimated taxes that you should be looking at. I look at it twice a month. Um, and I actually have mm. a shortcut for looking at it. I don't know if anyone who's listening has read the book Profit First or is familiar with it, but we highly it's... recommend it. Oh, good. <laughs> All the time. So. Love it. So good. Okay. Love Profit First. So, you know, you don't need to do like a crazy tax calculation every single quarter or every time you're like looking at that. Um, you can just transfer out depending on where you are and all of that stuff, you know, 15, 20% of whatever your gross income is to your tax savings account. And then your estimated taxes should be looked at at least quarterly before you pay. Um, but keep in mind that you don't have to pay everything you owe in necessarily. Um, but whoever you're working with on taxes should be able to give you like the minimum estimates you have to pay. And then there will be like more savings in your tax savings account that are hopefully earning interest and in doing something for you before you legally have to give it over to the IRS. So you want to readjust and calculate your salary once a year um, or whenever there's big changes. And then estimated taxes, you can look at on a more regular basis, at least once a month and then quarterly. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And our last big section is all about write-offs. This is where most of our questions were. Yeah. And so I pulled a couple things out and it was basically like, a, can I write this off? And so I have five things that, uh, very specific things that folks asked about. So we're just going to go through those really quick. Um, this first one is actually my own, and that is, can I write off my Samsung frame TV that I use as a second monitor? Do you use it as a second monitor? I only use it as a second monitor. Then 100%. Yes. Even though it's in my living room? My desk is in my living room, so it's like a... Yes. Okay, cool. But <laughs> if if you only use it as a second monitor, then that's your monitor. So it's like sometimes... Yeah. And this can also be like where like the patriarchy comes in from that prior question, right? <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. because no one would eat like there's plenty of people out there who aren't even going to think about that. They're going to be like, yes, I'm writing it off and I don't even use it as a monitor. You know what I mean? But um, so something that helps me is like if something feels good, then I'm like, mm, this has to be bad. Right. Mm -hmm. But to put it in another context, like if this was just a regular six hundred dollar regular monitor that didn't spark joy for me, would I think twice about it? No. What makes this different? It's my monitor. I only use it as a monitor. I love it. I like it. It's amazing. That doesn't change the deductibility of it. Um, I don't know how much Samsung frames cost or what they are. I think it's like a big TV or something, right? 
I got the smallest one. It was like oh. 500 dollars. Oh, I wouldn't even think twice about that. That's how much <laughs> I I have these like shitty Dell monitors that look like they're from the 90s and I think they were like $600 each. <laughs> so you're fine. I should get a Samsung frame as a second Would monitor. Would highly recommend it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just because something brings joy and feels good doesn't mean that you can't deduct it. Amazing. Okay. The second thing, meals and coffee, whenever you are out networking with other providers and professionals. Uh, This question. So listen, there's always meals and coffee. There's so many, yeah, there's so many people out there that are like, no, you can't deduct that stuff. And maybe you're not supposed to. And I don't know, like, so like the general rule is that you have to be like, writing you have to be paying for everyone's food in order for it to be a deduction but I just don't think that that's always reasonable like Mm. you know like if you're out there networking like it's it's not it doesn't always make sense in society to like do that you know um I bring it back to a gut check you know I know the difference if I'm out eating drinking for networking or if I'm out eating, drinking for fun, trying to masquerade it as networking. If you're out there really networking, doing business, write it off. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave money on the table. Um, It's, that's a legitimate expense. Like you're out there trying to drum up business, put yourself out, meet people. Sometimes you can't pay for everyone's coffee and drinks if you're, you know, out at like a meet and greet or something. It's just, it's just not reasonable. I think that sometimes we need to, you know, that the code's there as a guide, but we have to bring real life into it. So that's why I hate the question because it's like, mm, yes and no. Mm. Yeah. Third one is buying a car that is used for both personal and business, as well as driving to networking meetings. Aside from the mileage can actually, actual part of the car purchase be written off? So no, the way that it works with cars um, is you either do the actual expense method or you do the mileage method. The actual expense method generally only gives a better benefit if you're using the car more than 50% for work. um, And then you would you know, be able to take depreciation and things like that. But, you know, the actual part of the car purchase, I suspect has to do with like the down payment or buying it or something like that. And that's not really something that gets deducted as an expense. It gets deducted through something that's called depreciation, which is like methodically. So basically when you have big purchases, you're not allowed to like deduct the whole thing at once unless there's like bonus depreciation or something like that. You take like a little bit of it each year. So like that down payment or buying the car would go into like the cost of the asset and then the asset gets depreciated. Mm. Okay. I would say definitely work with, work with a professional on car stuff. Awesome. Fourth one is, can you write off groceries to test certain new foods or recipes before recommending them to clients? And I'll put a little caveat in here. This question probably came from a dietitian. Yeah, absolutely. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that that's totally reasonable since it is like 
a little bit of a taboo thing, I would just keep really good records. Like, so for example, you're going to want to make sure that you're separating business and personal. You can't just have everything in one account. And then you're like, oh no, look, these grocery purchases were really for a client. Like no one's going to believe that even if it's true, it's just not going to hold up. But on the other hand, if you have clearly separated accounts and most of your grocery purchases are from personal and they're reasonable and make sense, like what an average person would spend on groceries in a week, month, year, et cetera. And then the stuff for the recipe testing is like much smaller. And you not only take receipts, but you write on the receipt, like, you know, um, recipe testing for XYZ client or something like that. And then you take a picture of that. And then you even like, then have that tracing back. Then you have like emails, you know what I mean? Like you don't need to like keep all this in your tax records, but like, if you're actually doing that, it shouldn't be a problem. You're just going to want to make sure that, you know, you're treating the business like a business. Um, and absolutely, like I would suspect that a dietitian is doing things like that. You have to remember that the rules are, it has to be, um, ordinary and necessary. And I think that this meets both of those requirements. And I also think that it's reasonable to expect. And our last question about write-offs um, of like a specific write-off is, can I write off taking a trip to say Canada with other clinicians meant for work collaboration when that work could hypothetically be done closer together in a local city, state, or country? I don't see why not. I don't think that that um, again, I think it comes back to that thing of like, um, if it feels good, then it's bad. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that that's a I don't think I mean, I know running a business is hard and accounting and taxes are soul sucking. And every day I'm like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? Like, this is horrible. No one wants to do this. This is terrible. But you Suffering is not a prerequisite for the deduction. They they like to make it seem like it and everything else around the whole process is horrible and suffering. But yeah, I mean, who cares? I would much rather go somewhere fun to do that too. Um, and again, good records, like um, put it in your calendar, like what you're doing, um, what the itinerary is, have something that's, you know, supporting it. And just because it could be done in a different place, I don't, who, who cares? Maybe you go there and it's beautiful and you get more, you know, you get away. That's a thing that people do. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> okay. A couple more questions related to write-offs. Um, first one is, can you explain more on non-traditional examples of uh, this in the private practice space and how we can prove that they are necessary for your business? I know you kind of touched on that last piece of necessary, but what are some non-traditional examples in private practice of write-offs? I have no idea. Um, maybe it could be the grocery thing. Um, yeah. But I can't think of anything that could be non-traditional, I would say like when it comes down to that gut check, like, you know, yeah. ordinary, necessary, fine. Um, but then like, you know, how do you feel when you're making that purchase? Like sometimes, you know, like, how are you going to feel if you're sitting across from an IRS agent and they're asking about those purchases? Are you going to feel embodied or are you going to feel like you're scared that they're like, 
going to find out something, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, everything in general, things can be gray area. So it's like, it comes down to the gut check. Um, Something that could be a non-traditional thing that people might think, massages. I went and got a massage this week. Mm -hmm. To me, it's ordinary and necessary in my line of work in tax season to go get massages. Did I want to put it on the business? Do I feel like I'm justified to put it on the business? Yes. But you just, you just can't, you know, you just can't. So, um, but aside from that, I don't think I would like a specific example. So if there's anything, I'm happy to answer that later. Sounds good. Um, This comes from a specific question. I just completed my master's. I'm now in a PhD program. I have financial aid. Is there any way that my business can pay towards this education? So, yes, Um, there are rules. There's like a lot of information about this online. Um, If you search for like, you know, um, can I deduct education and training through my business, um, there will be some things that you'll see. I don't know the like exact parameters off the top of my head, but I believe that just as long as it's to further your current business and not to train you for a new position, then you can. Um, So like, let's say you're doing your master's and like, um, you wanted to like offer something new or do something deeper in the business and you need that PhD to do it. Um, you know, within reason, I do think that again, not knowing the specifics, but I don't see that. I don't think it's impossible. Um, I think it definitely requires a professional to look at all the facts and circumstances and advise. And, but I don't think it's, impossible at all. And definitely any like certificates, courses, continuing ed trainings like that, 100%. Yes. All right. And we'll go ahead and wrap up write off questions with this. I'm going to combine two of these questions. Can you consider medication and co-pays as a business expense or things like therapy? We are mental health professionals after all. And then kind of in alignment with this of, can I have my business pay for my health insurance? So everyone with health insurance who's self-employed should 100% pay for their health insurance through the business, depending on how the business is structured, will dictate where that deduction actually gets deducted, whether it's on your 1040 or on your business return. But I would say to keep everything in one place, pay for it from the business. And then medication, I would say no. Co-pays, I would say no as business expenses. Um, therapy, I would say yes, if you're talking about business. And this goes for everyone even who's not a mental health provider. Um, when I started my business, my therapist at the time was like, no, it's a write-off because we're talking about work. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So he's actually the one, um, you know, and not a hundred percent, but I'll do an allocation Um, Because it's sort of like business coaching in a way, too. Um, Any supervision is 100% deductible. But if it's like personal-ish therapy that you're talking about business and personal stuff with, then I would say yes. But again, like the IRS doesn't care about maintaining an image. Um, And that image can also be your mental health. So like, it may feel justified, like I need to feel good and like be good to like offer this service. 
they don't care, you know? But if you're going in there talking about work, then it becomes a different dynamic. Okay. All right. It's no. Okay. I have a couple rapid fire questions for you that we just like to ask all of our guests that come on the podcast as fellow entrepreneurs. And so uh, just say whatever the first thing is that comes to mind. Okay. Ready? Yep. Okay. If your business was an animal, what would it be? Oh, tiger. What is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Like the, mm, the molding, the creativity, the, I get to make it. Um, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I was that kid that would, you know, get everyone together in the neighborhood and put up posters for babysitting or go wash cars or, you know what I mean? Um, I would Google Mm -hmm. over the Oriental trading catalogs and think about what I would (laughs) buy and how much I would sell it for. And yeah, so I love making. That I, you just unlocked a memory in my brain that I had totally forgotten about. Oriental really? Trading Magazine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um, what is your morning routine to get ready for the day? Oh, I love mornings. I love my morning routine. So I wake up, I usually have one or two dogs in bed with me. We'll snuggle for a little bit. <laughs> um, open up the curtains, I'll go make a cup of coffee. I'll sit with the dogs in like the nicely, I get like good light in here in the office in the morning. I'll drink one cup of coffee while I sort of like go through emails and, you know, have a nice slow start to the day, whatever feels good. Read a little out of like a daily book, um, feed the dogs, take them out. Um, I started showering in the morning this tax season, which has been like such a game changer to just carve out that time. And I'll listen to um, the 101 Power Thoughts by Louise Hayes, which like I used to listen to like 20 years ago, but I'll like play it in the shower. And I don't know, it's just nice. I'll bring a cup of coffee in the shower with me. Mm. Like I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll make my second cup. And I've been putting like whipped cream on the coffee in the morning. So it feels like extra luxurious Mm. and just a nice slow start. Um, yeah. If you were handed $10,000 today to spend on your business, how would you spend it? I would probably want to save it, which like, it's also, also a bad thing. Yeah. I would probably want to save it. What is the hardest decision that you've had to make in your business? I don't know. A million hard decisions. Just showing up just every day sometimes yeah it's yeah what is the least favorite task that you've happily outsourced hosting consistently on social media oh I feel that it was always an (laughs) afterthought and I was like you want to know what someone's just gotta like babysit this yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and last rapid fire question for you what's the best thing that you've eaten in the last week Oh, we started getting these soups from the farmer's market. They Mm. have these like frozen soups, this farmer. And I mean, you don't think it's going to blow your mind, but it literally (laughs) it's all we've been eating for weeks are these soups. They have so many different flavors. And I'm like going, I'm just like buying like soups by the, it's just, it's out of control. It's so good. So yeah. (laughs) What's your favorite soup flavor that you've had? It's going to sound so boring, but they have this like ham and lentil soup. Oh, no, no. Ham and split pea. 
So it looks like, mm. here, but it's just so good. The ham is so good. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brittany. We'll go ahead and leave folks with this. Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? And I know tax season is here, but how can they work with you? Yes. So you can find me um, at my website, countless.io or on Instagram at countless.io. And we have two packages that we generally offer to people outside of tax prep. We have like a done for you package, which includes the bookkeeping, the software, the tax planning, tax strategy, where we're just like there with you regularly throughout the year, where we do everything. It's really hands off for you. And then the other package is for people who like doing it themselves. Um, which is my favorite, honestly. Um, so it's like people who like love doing their own bookkeeping and being plugged into the numbers because I think it's so important. And then we just come in and we work alongside you, um, reviewing what you're doing there to answer questions and then providing the, the tax strategy. So basically you bring the bookkeeping, we bring the tax strategy and we work collaboratively throughout the year together. And it's something new I started offering a couple years ago and it's just... It's amazing. I love it so much. Oh, I love that. And so I know obviously like we're like in the midst of tax season right now. So kind of in general, like what is the best time to reach out to someone to start oh, working with them? Definitely like the summer, I would say. And it's so sad because like no one does, like no one wants to think about it until it gets close to the end of the year or during tax right. season. And unfortunately, like there's just so much during that time that we just can't take everything on. And I really feel like people miss out on working with us and we miss out on working with people. Um, and I just wish that we would get more of those chances throughout the year. But I get it. It's taxes. It's accounting. No one really wants to think about it. So, yes. So for everyone listening, if you want to work with Brittany and her team, reach out to them this summer. Fiddle your way through taxes this year. You'll be good to go. Brittany and her team can help you get everything squared away starting the summer for next year's next year's taxes. Yes. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for joining us. Thank you for being in the hot seat and answering all these questions. We are so immensely grateful for you and all the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really good time. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week. Please leave us a rating and review and share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. And be sure to get on our wait list for the accountability club. We'll see you next week.